Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Sometimes grief is not what you think it is. It's not always someone passing away. It's, it's not always those massive uh, moments that you're familiar with, but it's anything where your idea of what your future would look like gets taken away from you. And in this chat with Jeff Ross, he, he talks about how he had a couple of thoughts for what his future would be. One was sales, which he went the long road to finally getting back to. But he also was, was working in, with horses and that, that's just how he saw what his future was going to be until he had an accident where a horse basically came down on his neck and very lucky to be alive. And he, he shares how he came out the other side of that, how he battled with extreme pain, chronic pain, ongoing pain, dependency on painkillers, and also falling into a deep depression as he had to face a, a whole new way of living life. It's a really open chat, really courageous chat, and you'll get a heap out of this around your own purpose, around uh, recovering from those moments of loss and where your future plans had to change. So uh, really... I'm really happy about sharing this one because it's uh, really touches on a lot of the things that I, I regularly talk about here on the individual episodes. G'day all, and welcome Jeff Ross. Jeff, how are you? Good, mate. Yourself? Going well, thank you. We met through business, uh, observing what each of us were doing, had some cool conversations around purpose and that sort of stuff, so I'm sure we'll get in that, into that today. Yeah. Um, the main reason we uh, were talking today, though, is just your life journey and some of the huge setbacks you've been through and we we're just sort of going through them then and um you've you've been through a lot like you said you, you you're tenacious and 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 you don't give up and i guess that has to be the case when you've been through as many different challenges as you that you have yeah yeah it's um life definitely likes to throw curveballs at you doesn't it 100 <laughs> percent. so you said when you were 26 you had a, a horse accident was that because you were were you in to horsing or was like tell me a little about a bit about that how that all unfolded yeah so grew up on um horse studs um my mum and dad own a horse stud so grew up you know learning how to ride a horse before i could walk and uh in my 20s you know that's all i ever wanted to do i just wanted to just go and be a cowboy <laughs> go and yeah. ride horse all day long um i went over to new zealand uh for a working holiday and working on uh, one of the big racing uh thoroughbred breeding stables over there uh white cattle stud and uh, I was the stallion manager at the time. And uh, so my job was to help the stallion go and do his job in the breeding season. So um, we had this uh, maiden mare. It was her first time being serviced. She didn't want really a bar of it. And uh, 
I, I was holding the mare and she basically, when the stallion went to go and jump and do his job, she reared up, struck me down and uh, decided to full on attack me and, and uh, stepped on my neck. So Sheesh. At the age of 26, uh, yeah, I had a horse jump on my neck and I ended up with three crushed discs and uh, badly damaged my right shoulder with all the nerves. I imagine people have actually had far worse injuries in those sort of situations. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. You, I was lucky to be alive. Um, yeah. Someone told me that at uh, that time today, like, you know, this was before um, OH&S really cracked down, especially in New Zealand. So it wasn't compulsory to, to like wear a helmet in the breeding stables. Someone told me to put a helmet on that day. I'm glad I did because the helmet had 10 cracks in it. So, oh, wow. Yeah. If I didn't have the helmet on, I probably wouldn't be telling the story. Oh, so it, it had a few goes at you? Yeah, yeah. It jumped on me a couple of times. Yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't. Uh, she wasn't nice about it. She was pretty vicious about it. Yeah, um, part of me kind of understands that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty forceful. <laughs> well, mm. but um, yeah. Do you remember much of the? Like, were you conscious through the whole thing? No, I was knocked out straight away. I only remember what from what people told me. Um, out of action for about six months. Probably went back to work a bit too early. And uh, so from the about three years later, on age 29, um, I actually was starting to put on a bit of weight because I wasn't being as physical and uh, decided to go and do something about that. So I hopped on a a rowing machine at the gym. And uh, when I was uh, on the the rowing machine, I must have just, the way I moved or something like that, just just been enough to slip the disc and actually just pinch that nerve for my right arm just enough. And... um, yeah, excruciating pain going down my right arm. It's a bit like uh, pinching your sciatica nerve in your leg. Yeah. And um, I just lost all my ability on my right arm. Just uh, so overnight, pretty much being put onto a, a disability pension. So that was fun. Oh, geez. Did I want to go back just like, be, to like post the incident, but I, I just want to ask you there, like, did that scare you when, when that initially happened? Like, how did you oh. feel when suddenly you've lost all movement? Yeah, um, terrifying. You know, I'm thinking, you know, what's going on? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, just uh, the whole experience was terrifying. Yeah, especially, only, you know, only, only 29. So Yeah, 100%. So if we just go post the accident so did you like come to in the in a hospital bed and, and not really know what's going on at that point or you have memories of the incident so i was uh knocked out during the accident and uh i sort of come to conscious when the ambulance guys were there put me put me in the ambulance and uh i sort of knew what happened straight away like, um, yeah. yeah well i was in fair amount of pain and uh i, I just I sort of predicted it was going to happen before it actually happened. I mean, that's why normally I, I was the guy holding the stain. And uh, this in this time, I just a gut feeling just said, no, nah, I've got to be the one holding the, the mare this time because I was the most experienced in the shed. And, uh, yeah, just sort of could predict it was going to happen. Yeah, right. Um, I imagine uh, things could have been horribly worse if you weren't in that position then. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it's one of those things I'm lucky to be uh, talking, you know, be alive. Um, I'm lucky not to be in a wheelchair. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things that I now look back at it and it was a bit of a blessing in disguise, but at the time it was it was pretty terrifying. Mm. So what about the aftermath? Like where you, you said you'd uh, 
neck three neck fractures were, were you have to be in traction after that or like what was the recovery like so i was basically uh, in hospital for two months uh and then i was basically in a neck brace for six months after that um but yeah so the end of the day like the result of the damage was i ended up with three crushed discs in the back of my neck but the doctors at the time they said look we, there's two things we can do for you is we can cut you open from here to here go in and fuse them or we can uh you know just dose you up on painkillers for the rest of your life yeah so the people who are listening and not not seeing what uh jeff just did then basically from his chin all the way down to his straight at the front like uh i'm with yeah, you yeah. I'll, I'll... say again sorry so yeah go in from the front and then yeah, yeah. through my throat and basically go in and fuse the disc yeah which uh as I, I imagine most people you chose to go a different path than that oh yeah i told him i wasn't going to worry about doing that until i was at least 60 or something like that before i you know, couldn't walk anymore um yeah. so yeah but god's been good at it he's been he's, he's he's been able to sort of you know take care of the pain for me so you said you you probably went back to work too early like how how soon after were you back working oh about nine months after that um probably should have had probably good 18 months off recovery um yeah it was all just all a bit rushed and, and uh, i did you know intent silly myself i did you know, i went back to work myself too early uh, i tried so to get back, back to work with horses but then i ended up having to change careers and i got into sales from there so no one was pushing you to get back you were just like i've got, I've got to get back no, in or you're or you're bored bored young and dumb <laughs> <laughs> yeah Okay, young and dumb, but you said something really key there. You kind of predicted it. Is, is that something that you've identified now in you in lots of different areas before and after that, where you kind of can have these premonitions about how things are going to unfold? Yeah, it's funny you say that. Um, not necessarily in the moment. There's only probably been one or two times in my life that I've actually done it actually in the moment. But um, I, I remember having sort of, dreams or visions or, or whatever you know six months two years and then all of a sudden that thing's actually come you know almost to the letter come true mm. so you mean like um when you were asleep dreams or yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah. Like wow. very vivid clear, clear as day very vivid clear as day dreams and um like i remember when i was about 17 i um remember you know having this this dream about basically being on this cattle station in north queensland had no idea where it was at the time and uh like the ringers quarters you know where the the the, the stockman slept and all that sort of thing and veranda and the building and and then looking out at this sunset and over that and then two years later um you know i i basically witnessed that whole vision come to life just you know almost like the exact exact same sort of building the exact same sunset yeah it's uncanny were you were you aware of it enough to go well i've seen this before or did you piece that together later no, it was like it felt like deja vu. And, yeah, uh, you know, like a real deja vu moment, and uh, and then it's like it was like about probably three days later. It's ah, like, oh, that's why that felt like we're at deja vu. Yeah, you lived it a few times. Hmm. Um. Now we'll come to to you finding your faith, but uh, like at that point, it's not anything that's a big part of your life. But well, did you have any? thoughts around the fact that you were having these prophetic dreams or any what did it make you question things or concerned or it maybe starts to probably explore things and be open to things a bit more um yeah like I, I grew up in a in an atheistic family and uh anything that was 
you know, religious or, or, you know, higher power or whatever you want to call it. You know, it was always just sort of, you know, taking the mickey out of, you know, taking the piss out of things. Yeah. And uh, sort of always just, you know, pushed under the carpet. Um, so, yeah, so I, I definitely had questions and I definitely started to open up about things. Mm. Do you think that was a curiosity you had prior to then or, or that this only came post the accident? No, I've always had a curiosity. Yeah, look, I, I, purely because um, you know, it's got nothing the way my father raised me, and I got that. That is the way the way he is, and he's got his stories. But um, I was the the kid at school that was sent to school with a note saying that my son's not to attend anything to do with scripture. Uh, right. or that. So when scripture was on, I always had to go sit out in the hall. So um, yeah, so that always, you know, I suppose I started getting curious about it, curious about things then. But over time, I went to ask questions. It was always shut down. Hmm. Wow. Um. As a kid, that that I imagine that would have been challenging. Forget the the fact that it's scripture or anything like that. The fact that you're just being like no other option. You're just out in the hall. Yeah. Well, it meant that I would be um became different to all the other kids, and I. I you know, I was uh, severely bullied as a kid at school. As a result of that, you think? I'm not going to put any blame on it, but, yeah, that's probably one of the reasons. Yeah, right. And what sort of impact did that have as you were growing up then? Oh, my father's relationship with me and my father is very strained. But, um, yeah, it's uh, I, I suppose I've had to adopt a, like a rhino skin, you know, like let, let things run off, the, you know. Um Back then, you know, things, you know, like words used to cut pretty deep and and now it's like, well, they just bounce off. It's like, so, you know, as I say, you know, the last throws testers, so we just say, okay, what's next? <laughs> so I suppose in, in, in essence, it's helped me, you know, my character to be more resilient. Yeah. And and for mine, that's one of the best gifts we get out of those tough times, right, is, is yeah. the ability to then build our own coping mechanisms to get through. Yeah, yeah, you know, like the um, the Bible actually teaches us to be grateful for our trials and tribulations, you know, because that's where we're tested and that's where we our character gets strengthened. Yeah, absolutely. To me, that's where we find our greatest strength. And we, te- I don't know if you've experienced this, but we tend to have those same challenges repeat over and over again in different forms and different ways. So, so we really like for each individual's journey is different, but that particular yeah. muscle team tends to get built again and again and again, right? Yeah, I, I think personally, I think that's um, there's a reason behind that. It's it's uh, uh, probably we haven't learnt the lesson the first time round. Yeah, yeah. Go around until we learn that lesson. Yeah. But I also think it helps us to become more empathetic. You know, uh, when others go through similar lessons and similar trials, we're able to empathise with them. Um, there's a great book out there by called uh, Joseph Campbell by the, the Hero's Journey, yeah. and uh, I'm always reflected back to that. It's like, okay, yep, this is just another abyss moment. You know, this is just another test. <laughs> Yeah, but, um, and that, in my twenties, I didn't have that 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 wisdom that I do now. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was a conversation around that and around story that that we connected with orig- originally, right? Yeah, around purpose. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what have you learned through through going through those trials and tribulations? What have you learned about your own purpose? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I think I've always skirted around my last per- my purpose for the last probably 15 years, but now I know that I'm definitely on the right path um, to you know fulfilling my you know, purpose. Um, 
I think, you know, going through trial, you know, I've had to go through my test and my trials to be able to come out of that, to be able to understand what my purpose is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to take you just back to the, to the recovery and, and um, the impact of all of that. So when you said you probably went back to work too early, was that from a physical perspective or yeah. did, it, did it play out for you mentally or emotionally as well? Um, yeah. Um, geez, you're good at asking the good questions, aren't you? Um, yeah, definitely physically, but, um, I suppose mentally, I, I don't know, because I couldn't do what I'd sort of like, I, what I was good at, I had to go through my own grief of that, you know, cause I, you know, it was almost like a, a loss in itself. Yeah. I'm not being yeah. able to do that, that, that thing that I was good at, you know, like I was pretty good at breaking horses and all that and not being able to do that anymore. It was like, Oh, okay. So what do I do? So I went from uh, job to job, you know, probably for, yeah, a good five, six years after that. I, yeah, when I reflect back on it, it did sort of, I went from job to job, career to career to sort of for, to try and find myself again. So I've gone from working on horse studs to, to hospitality. Um, I, you know, went and rose up the ranks pretty quickly in, in uh, the pubs that I was working to the stage that I was the overseer of three pubs managing 100 people. And uh, yeah, the global financial crisis come in and I lost that role and I'm coming back home to Australia and I found myself into the sales area. So, um, but I, I was going probably, probably job to job pretty quickly trying to find my feet there until I found my feet at the National College of Business uh, in Brisbane, which was, uh, I was the lead business development manager there. And uh, so, yeah, so that three, four year period after my accident, going through, you know, trying to find my feet. And then um, 29.30, I uh, basically, uh, you know, so copped on that roll machine and, and, and lost mobility in my right arm. And, and that's when the doctors put me on a disability pension. So mm. um, you, you mentioned there about going through your own grief. And, and to me, that's part of the big message that I want to share is like any sense of loss like that is grief. Yeah. Particularly when, you know, you're really good at what you do. You, mm. you had this future mapped out and then it's taken away from you, no fault of your own. Like it's having yeah. to sit with that. That's, that's one of the most challenging parts, right? Yeah. And I only just realized that that was, uh, that was grief back then. You know, sort of only just realized that in the last sort of five, six years myself. Um, at the start, at the time, I, I suppose that's why I ended up being a bit depressed because I couldn't put any words to it. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was feeling lost. I was feeling hopeless. I'd like, I lost my identity. So, and, uh, at that time, newly married, had our, our first child, uh, he was two and our second was, uh, only four months old. And I uh, just throw, throw all that on top, you know, on top of everything else. Um, when I did my, my neck and my shoulder and, you know, ended up being sort of having my arm play up 12 months prior to that, uh, my wife, no, actually six, sorry, six months prior to that, my wife's mother ended up getting terminally ill with cancer. So we um, packed up our bags and we moved down from Brisbane to Grafton so my wife could become her mother's full-time carer. And uh, pretty much so overnight, we've gone from both having very successful jobs, newly married. Uh, our first son was on the way and then she, my wife's then been pulled out and asked to be a mum's full-time carer. And then... Yeah, pretty much a couple of months after that, you know, my accident came to fruition and I'm on a disability pension. So, 
you know, yeah, so we had our lives all mapped out, you know, newly married and whatnot, and then overnight it's been turned upside down, the rug's been pulled out, and yeah. Shocked, shocked to the system, to say the least. Real shocked to the system. And then so that was a, a two, two-and-a-half-year journey with my wife looking after her mother, and uh, she passed. And, uh, and then we decided to, um, you know, start again, fresh start, and we moved down to Tasmania in um, 2000 and. 14, 13, you know, it was the end of 2013. So, and, uh, so we decided to move down, move down here and try and start again. But yeah, obviously brought all our baggage with us. As you do. Uh, no wonder you were feeling depressed. Like you've got all these different things happening all at once. And then you throw in them saying to you, they use what you describe pain, chronic pain syndrome. So pain that you're yeah. just going to have. And the only solution is a is surgery through the front of your throat, or just being on painkillers. So, yeah, with a, with a chance of a percentage like of a fifty percent chance that they would paralyze me. <laughs> so the, it wasn't, yeah, there wasn't very high chance that they would actually fix me. Like it was a 50-50 that they could actually do more damage. Oh wow! So there's no real option. No. You, you got to take the painkillers and and hope for the best. So, so how did you? get through that time when when you're already struggling with so many different thoughts and feelings and how do you how did you manage to just keep going on there i don't think i did i um crawled up in a ball into the fetal position and <laughs> you know just let life sort of bypass me there for a little bit i got very 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 de- depressed and uh yeah it got to the point where i did try to kill myself no. so how long after um how long after having to deal with all that? Like, did it sort of slowly bank up on you? And and like, you know, you already. Sort of, I just remember so, when my kids were my kids were little. Like, that's just the hardest time. If you've got a child under five, like you're yeah. gonna you're gonna struggle unless you're getting a whole lot of support. But rarely do people get that consistently. Throw in caring for your mother-in-law plus recovery from injury. Uh, I can't yeah. imagine how difficult that was. Yeah, and we decided to move down to Tasmania, and, you know, away from our family support and had no support. Yeah. Uh, so with with uh, two kids and under the age of three. Yeah, so, wow. Um, it got to a point where I, um, yeah, as I said, couldn't take it anymore and I, you know, I reflect back on this day quite a lot. Um, we moved down to Tasmania. We basically sold everything and what we could and uh, just basically packed up the kids on a plane and flew down here. We didn't realise at the time that Tasmania rentals, so you had to have a good credit rating. Uh, with obviously our history that we'd just gone through, our credit rating was shot through the roof a bit. And uh, so we moved down here thinking, oh, yeah, we just need a good rental history, that's all. Well, ended up meaning that we're actually homeless for three months, living out of a Caribbean park for three months. Whoa. And uh, so we finally got a place that we could live in, move into that they, they accept us and we moved into. But um, so, yeah, this is about six months after living down Tasmania. I felt like my marriage was on the, on the rocks. You know, um, my career was gone. You know, I was feeling hopeless as a father. Hmm. Uh, we were on the edge of bankruptcy. And I was very, I was a very angry individual to be around at the time. And, uh, you know, I'm not proud to admit it, but my poor wife, Sarah, I probably uh, verbally abused her quite a few times. And I uh, got to the point where I just wanted to finish it. And so I... 
grabbed a, a big handful of like you know the the pain meds and everything like I was on and bottle of vodka and I was just going to take the lot and you know finish it and uh, my uh, two year old son at the time yeah this was about midnight hmm. whatever reason he got up and he, he he came out looking for for mum and dad and he found me in the bathroom um, bawling my eyes out about to just you know just finish it and he comes up he said dad what what's wrong what do you what are you doing. And uh, I just burst out in a blubbering mess, and I just, you know, just covered him for the rest of the night. And yeah, um, he, he basically saved me. Yeah, I got goosebumps all through that. Like, I've I've experienced that myself. Kids just seem to have a um, innate sense of when to show up and why. Uh, that's incredible, mate. Oh, <laughs> have you shared that conversation with him? Uh, no, he's now 11. I probably should one day. Yeah. Maybe, 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 uh, yeah, I guess that just depends on, uh, his personality, but, um, mate, uh, wow. So do you tell your wife in the morning after that, or like, did you keep that to yourself for a while? Uh, I kept it for myself for a little bit. Uh, probably wasn't probably about probably four or five months until I actually did share with her the full story. She knew something was going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. It's, it's funny though. Like a week prior to that, my wife is. Uh, you know, Sarah's been grown up as a Catholic, and she's got four aunts that are nuns, and so God's always been part of her life. A week prior to that, you know, she's she's doing everything that she can to try and save our marriage and, and to save me, and she's just basically, you know shouted at me you need god in your life <laughs> so um took took me along to a catholic church and and uh i sat through half a half a sermon on a sunday and then i basically got up and i acted like a three-year-old kid and i threw my hands up in the air and i said i've had enough of this shit and walked out you know a few other curse words um but it's funny though because after I, that episode of me trying to kill myself it was only two weeks later that I basically, I, you know, I thought, right, well, I've tried everything that the world has to offer. Hmm. There's got to be another way. And uh, the opportunity was presented to me to to um, meet Tim O'Neill, who's now our pastor of our church. And uh, basically, yeah, he invited us along to a um, a, a table, uh, a, a family feast that they were having at church at the table that night. And uh, I came along to the, to the long table family feast and uh, just – saw all the joy and peace and love on people's faces at the t- around the table there. And I just thought to myself, well, this is what's missing in my life. I need this. And I uh, said that to Tim and, and, and Tim introduced me, uh, invited me to come along to church next Sunday. And I thought, well, I think Sarah almost fought, fell over and fainted because I, I said, yes, let's do it. <laughs> you know, um, had a couple of conversations, went to church a couple of times. And then uh, I just walked up to Tim and I said, mate, look, I've got no idea who this Jesus fella is. You know, I've been sheltered from it all my whole life. I've tried everything the world has to offer, but I'm open to exploring, you know, what Christianity is all about. Can you, can you teach me? Can you show me? <laughs> and uh, Tim's just gone, yeah, of course. So we, we met up for coffee on a, a weekly basis and basically he started to disciple me, went through some Bible discovery stories and three months into that journey, I've given my life to Jesus and uh, I've gotten baptised. Uh, six months into that, I'm into I'm on a mission field in India, going yeah. over to India on a mission. Yeah. Uh, Eighteen months into that, I'm doing a two-year internship, uh, doing my Bible studies um, 
you know, trained to become a church planner. No, I'm, I'm, I haven't been a church planner since then, but I, that's what I was doing. I was, I had my heart set on doing that, and you know, life's had other plans. But yeah, so I, I, I look at that, you know, that that pivotal moment in my life, you know, before God was, I was bankrupt, almost bankrupt. I was on the edge of divorce. I was very angry. I was suicidal, you know. And then I had that pivotal moment, and now I look at my life, and it's full of joy, full of love, full of abundance. It's just complete polar opposites. I wonder how I ever wonder how I ever used to do it without it. Yeah, and I'm also drawn to like your wife must be a patient and extremely strong woman. Yeah, yeah, very very grateful for Sarah. Um, I don't know how she puts up with me sometimes. <laughs> um, very very forgiving. Yeah, you know, very forgiving, and I think. I don't know. She's always just saw something in me that yeah you know, I didn't see myself, and um, yeah, it's her love and it's her patience and it's her forgiveness that's helped bring that out. Uh, that's awesome. We must be doing something right because they keep hanging around, right? That's right. <laughs> the amount of times <laughs> I've tried to push her away. <laughs> uh, very grateful. Uh, very grateful that she dug her heels in and you know she stayed. Do you, Do you look back at, at that part of the journey and like? like having that moment with your young fella and then does it like that have you reflecting on your own childhood yeah and you mentioned the you know feeling different at school and but was there other sort of stuff there that like so for for my my example is i often um had a real disconnect with my dad through no fault of his or mine just very different people. Like I'm more extroverted. He's more introverted and not really finding a way. And, and a lot of my journey was like going back to that of like, okay, well, there was a whole lot of stuff there that I couldn't make sense of as a kid, but now it's time to do it now. Yeah. Totally get, totally relate, 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 totally relate to that. Um, yeah. Once again, you know, I love my father and, uh, he did nothing wrong and, it's just the way that he was brought up. And I think it might've been a generational thing too, that I don't know, I got to the age of nine and, and I wasn't allowed to, you know, give my father a hug or kiss him or, or anything like that anymore. It's basically, we don't do that, mate. We shake hands. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of, that sort of stigma. So I was starved of that love very early on. Um, and it's almost, you know, dad worked really, really hard. Like, he, you know, made sure we had a roof over our head and food on our table and, and that was the way that he showed his love for us kids. And I totally get that now. But back then it was like, all I, I would have given up all of the, the horses, all of the, every, everything that we had just to have spent more quality time with him and, and to be seen by him. Um, so it's almost like the pendulum swing, right? So it goes from one extreme to the next. So now that I make sure that I work from home, I got, I'm grateful that I get to do that. I, I am, you know, when my kids like, I pick my kids up. Like I drop my kids off to school. I pick them up on a daily basis. I, my first conversation when they get in the car was, okay, so how was your day? What was the highlight of your day? What what did you learn? What was challenging your day? So I'm, I know my kids know that they can come to me and talk to me about just about anything. Yeah. And uh, it's through that, that I now have identified what, you know, so, you know, God's funny in the way he works. Right. So, um, you know, I've gone from working on the horses. I've gone through, you know, my, my childhood and, and having you know that that strained connection with my father, I've gone through having to learn how to provide for my family by working out how to make money online, 
And uh, all of that's led up to, you know, I've only just turned 40 this year, but I really, I found out, I've found my true purpose in life now. And uh, my purpose here is I've actually got my statement here that I've got up here on the wall. So my superpower is to help workaholic dads to transform into dadpreneurs making $10,000 per month online so they can become the fun holiday dad, fueled by dad jokes, of course, making <laughs> men their families. You know, oh. that's my purpose. That's what I do. I love that. Uh, and I imagine many from uh, our generation, similar experiences where holidays was often when we got the most out of uh, parents. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so That's if right. you can be – yeah, holidays. Yeah, so I was say is, um, you know, we don't remember what we got for Christmas five years ago, but we remember all those memories that we make with our, our family, right? So if I look yeah. reflect back on my childhood, it's exactly that. You know, the time we went snow skiing, the time we went to the beach – you know, they're my most fondest memories as a kid. Uh, yeah. So, and they last with us a lifetime. Yeah. So, being able to help other dads to be able to do that on not just a part-time basis, but but on a regular basis, mate, how inspiring! Yeah, yeah like um, gone are the days where we need to bust our guts off and be labourers and work so freaking hard and not be there for our kids. You know, there are there are ways where we can work smarter, not harder now. And I think yeah. I've had to go through that in my own journey to be able to, to you know, pioneer and lead that way to be able to show others that it is possible. Hmm. Love it. <sighs> you mentioned throughout the story how you just seem to be the one who was falling into those leadership roles. Is, is leadership and, and guiding others just something that has come naturally or is it, did it something you picked up once you got into your working stage of life? It's always sort of been uh, natural, but I've had, to, um, I've had to hone it. I've had to strengthen it. I've had to become wiser. Um, like I, I, I went to cadets, army cadets as a kid and, you know, I rose up through the ranks, you know, through that pretty quickly. Um, every, every job, every sort of, you know, thing I was employed at, I was never just a laborer. I was always either middle management or above, you know, I always sort of rose up through the ranks pretty quickly. Yeah. And, um, I've had to learn, you know, how to temper that and strengthen that and, and become wiser in that space. Okay. Describe to me the tempering. Why, why did you find you needed to temper it? What, what were you doing that you were being over overbearing or, or more than you thought you needed to be? Probably uh, a bit egotistical, probably a bit arrogant. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, I like, like, learned how to temper that. Like sort of my way or the highway sort of thing or like what do you mean by? Yeah, uh, in my early days, yes. Um, you know, not, not, not um, – not patient, not flexible, sort of rigid. Yeah, very rigid in my way or the highway. But that was my upbringing, right? So that was my father's way. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I don't know how much you've done on uh, understanding what the body tells you to do, but tells you. But um, you, you may not be surprised to hear that the neck is all about flexibility. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, I wasn't aware of that, but uh, I find that very funny. <laughs> funny now wouldn't have been if I told you at the time <laughs> no no I probably wouldn't have got anyone nearing out the other or probably even even received it <laughs> yeah um, yeah so so it like it is funny looking back and it's also like 
life just throws us these messages. And and I don't know if you've heard the, the one about the feather, the brick, the truck, but if you don't kind of pay attention to the tickle that you get from God or the universe or however you want to look at it, um, then you'll get a brick, which is that, that something that hits you in the face. And and uh, if not, you get the truck or, or a horse jumping on your head. That's it. Yeah. No, very much. I understand that now after I read a few books around that topic, but <laughs> once yeah, again, yeah. They like, you know, it went 20, like, I just wanted to have fun when I was 20. I went out and drank too much, smoked too much. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, many, many. well, I know I can relate to that and many of the listeners will be able to relate to that too. It's like a breaking free from all of that childhood stuff, particularly, I don't even think I've met any, or maybe not any, but not many people who their teen years were just wonderful. Everyone's had their different challenges trying to, yeah. you know, fit in in a, in a world that doesn't seem to make sense when you're that age. So yeah. the, the natural reaction is to break loose from that in the, in the years when you've got the uh, resources yeah. to. And, uh, and to make it a bit harder for myself, I left home at 15. Oh. So, yeah. Was that just to get away from dad or something else? It was a bit else? of both. It was a bit of both. Um, I, I, where we grew up in Cowra, uh, central New South Wales, there wasn't that many opportunities for employment. Like there was only, it's a town about 8,000 8, population. Yeah. So Bathurst is probably the next biggest, closest uh, city uh, to care. So I moved to, you know, left home at 15 and went lived with my nan and pop for six months. And uh, I started my apprenticeship as um, as a cabinet maker there sort of for a while because i being bullied as a kid at school. I wanted to leave school early. The deal mm-hmm. was I had to go get a trade. So I went and got a trade. But then as soon as I'd done my trade, I wanted to, I went and did what I wanted to do, which was go work with horses. Yeah. So, do you, do you still have a, an affection for horses now? Uh, yes and no. Um, I, I love, you know, I love to be able to ride and just go and do that sort of thing. But it, it became, you know, towards 26 and 27, it became just work. Like I, I just, it was it was hard work, hard yakka. So. Because hmm. hmm. I don't know how much you've seen about the um equine therapy but uh i don't have a great understanding but i do know that the 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 theory is that no creature mirrors back our own stuff um more powerfully than a horse no very Um, true yeah so so given this is an area that you have been a professional uh yeah very true like i um i've now actually seen uh studies come out that uh like horses have got you know like, have you heard of disc profiling before? So, disc personality yeah. types. Yeah, they're actually doing. They're actually using horses to be able to describe that to people as well. And so, horses fall into one of the four categories: uh, yeah. disc profiling. And uh, they, you know, they have their own personalities, but yeah, they very much are a mirror. You know, like yeah. if you're if, and that's why I say like if if you're feeling nervous or fearful when you're riding a horse, they just expand that ten times over. They feel nervous. They feel fearful. Hmm. Which is how the accidents happen. So, so, given you'd done that a hundred times, it doesn't sound like you would have been fearful. But were there other people there in that situation that that were, which is part of why your your instincts were saying you needed to be in, in a different position than usual? It was definitely heightened. Um, yeah, I'd say there probably was. Um, I don't know. I, I had the I had fairly good experience with dealing with you know with wild horses. Like I worked on cattle stations up in North Cloncurry. They're breaking in. Uh, basically, station horses, you know, they've raised, been raised wild, like wild brumbies. Um, so, yeah, I've had that experience. So, I could just, you, you can just sense it when the horse walks in and they're, and it's like a, a tight rubber band. 
<laughs> wait and wait to explode. Yeah. Yeah. So you fast forward now, you, you've, you've come out the other side and you, you said you got into sales and then um, was, was that something that there was always a, like we just naturally good at? I think when I reflect back on my childhood, I always wanted to get into sales. Yeah. Uh, I remember saying to my parents way back when I was about 12 that I wanted to get into sales and they laughed at me and uh, I said, oh, you'd, you'd never be any good at that. <laughs> and that sort of really stuck with me. And I so that's why I never went into sales early on. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I've, I don't know. I've I've always had the gift of the gab, being able to talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles. I've I'm I'm not shy, you know. Reach out to people and yeah, um, been able to talk to anybody and everybody. Um, so I think that's come from I don't know from my years of being bullied and and have learned how to actually reach out to complete strangers and make relationships with people and and then um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, actually, I was at a timeshare presentation when I was introduced to sales and, and uh, we went through the timeshare presentation at the end of the bloke turned around and said to me, he said, you'd be good at sales. You ever thought of doing it? And I said, yeah, I'm actually, I'm, yeah, sort of have, but it's like, would like a job. So my, my initial sales introduction was selling timeshare. Um, so yeah, did that for six months. And then uh, I realized that timeshare was not probably the right thing to be selling. So I got out of that and I went and, uh, went found a job with uh, the Woolworths selling the Woolworths credit card walking up to complete strangers in the middle of Woolworths and and just signing them up for the credit card um I was very very successful at very early on I was just just coachable and just you know just did what everybody told me to do and yeah. and then 12 months into that I was uh the the, the senior uh recruiter for the whole of Brisbane so I was teaching about 300 people how to sell these Woolworths credit cards. So I just naturally find myself in these roles where I'm, where I'm happy to teach people how to do what I do. <laughs> so um, with no experience and no training around how to do that, obviously. And yeah. just, you know, then sort of just by that, I, I then when, when, when sold power around Southeast Queensland and did door knocking and, and then I ended up finding my feet in the, the national college of business in Brisbane. Um, Actually, a good mate of mine that you've actually interviewed here, uh, Aaron uh, Catchburn. Uh, Black yeah. Catch so Catchy and I used to work at the National College of Business together. So um, that's where I met Catchy. And uh, yeah, so I, I was the the lead business development manager for Brisbane and the Gold Coast Arena and uh, just basically pounded the pavement, you know, door knocking and uh, just reaching out to everybody, asking if they'd like to, you know, enroll to business coaching. Wow. So I, I, I learned a lot from the NCB around sales and, and team culture and leadership and, you know, very grateful for my time there. You know, what's interesting is that you, um, you, you talked about uh, no experience in training. Now, maybe no formal experience in training, but like we talked about purpose already. Yeah. To me, that just really what you described there is is a great sense of purpose. It's like helping other people have what you never did, right? So if you're being bullied and you're feeling isolated, you're walking onto the street, even when you weren't selling, trying to get a connection with people who who needed it because you knew that they needed it because you'd been in that other position, right? So yeah, true. yeah to me, it just makes perfect sense now that you've been through this journey of then helping other people who who are needing something, who are needing someone to help them to feel they belong and, and it's not really much different to what yeah, you're Yeah, I really am. I'm not two and two together there, but yeah, I can understand where you come from. Hmm. 
Yeah, and and the regular listeners have heard me talk about this before. It's like if you can find that thing that that you experienced and and you never want anyone else to experience, and you can go out and give that back to the world, well yeah. then. You don't have to look too much further than that to, to find a deep sense of purpose. So, um, well, I know by just finding my purpose that I'm clear on now is everything becomes easier. You know, like creating content, you know, to add value to that community, it just becomes much easier because it's I know serving from the heart right. rather than trying to force things. Yeah, yeah I reckon it's uh, it's it's serving from everything. It's serving from from the heart, from the mind, from the soul. Like we, we're given. Yeah everything and, and whether you're religious or not it's like you, you're whether you believe in a higher power well your highest power that that's where you're going to have the greatest impact so yeah. um yeah so what was the biggest what was the biggest positive impact that that finding faith had on you and your life yeah good question um Just the, the love that the community has given me, the support. Uh, I suppose, you know, and no fault of my own, in my own teens and 20s and whatnot, I sort of moved from job to job, town to town, so I never really had that connection to community. Um, whereas, you know, we've stayed here in Launceston now for going on 10 years, longest I've ever lived anywhere. And, uh, you know, we've got a real strong connection to our to our church community we've got some really strong good relationships there and friendships and uh even to the point that, you know some of them are considered as family so you know and being the black sheep of the family and whatnot really i sort of really didn't have that growing up and and um i suppose that's probably been the biggest positive impact you know i love my mum mum's always been there in my corner she's uh, been my number one champion but yeah um to be able to yeah i'd say love and community is probably the biggest positive impact I love that. How how have your um, parents uh, dealt with the, this uh, faith that you've discovered later in life, given that you said they were quite the opposite? Um, well, mum sort of just went along for the ride with dad, I think. But so they've now divorced three years ago. Um, so been married for 36 years and then ended up getting divorced. Um, that's a story on its own. But, yeah, um, Mum's always been very stoic, very supportive in anything that I've ever done in life. And, uh, you know, she grew up, her, her parents were, well, her father was an altar boy sort of thing. So, you know, she has had some sort of faith in her life. But um, obviously just kept that very sheltered and very closed off from from dad. You know, dad's, uh, he was growing up as a, um, the, his parents are Mormons. So he had religion shoved down his throat and he rebelled mm. from that. Yeah. So I can understand why, you know, why he's so against it all. Yeah, uh, it was very forced on him, but yeah, sort of it's what went from one extreme to the next. Um, but yeah, so dad's they put another strain on our relationship. To be honest, it's like it's just another another strain. You know, we are two completely different people. Um, he's very introverted, very sheltered, very um, yeah, very private person. Whereas I'm completely the opposite to that. Hmm. Do you still seek and, and find ways to connect with him? Yeah, every now and then I can. Yep. Yep. No, I always um, reach out. Um, yeah. It's just, it's it's hard because my, my kids don't have, you know, their grandfather in their life as much as they probably could have. Yeah. 
Um, I, I was just drawn there to a thought of um, your little young fella showing up at, at just the right time. Maybe uh, maybe you're doing that for your dad now. Maybe you don't have to be there all the time, but maybe when you get that yeah. nudge to, to, to reach out that you, you're giving him what he needs at the time and maybe at some point he'll be ready to... to um, yeah, I hope so. Uh, he's, he's gone through his own sort of his own grief and his own battles at the moment, his own demons. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's 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 very closed off, very depressed, and very very sheltered at the moment. So he's very very closed off to a lot of things. But I hope one day that'll that'll change. But well, you just got to keep sending him love, I guess, don't you? And, and um, then it's up to him. Let's see it. I have heard that. When parents get divorced, when you're an adult, can be. Um, I have heard it described as being more challenging than when you're young. Uh, now I don't know how true that is, but like, did it have a an impact for you? And if so, how so? Yeah, no, it definitely had an impact. Um, it just it just meant we became more distant. Like we, we mum sort of was the one that was forcing me and dad to, you know, to, to get together once or twice a year. And, and uh, now that, that they have that influence, I suppose, it's where we're just growing further and further apart. Um, yeah. You know, he hasn't seen, I don't know if it's because he's, he's hurting or, or whatever it is, his own journey, but he hasn't rang my kids for their birthday for the last probably two years. Um doesn't even ring to say, you know, you know, happy Christmas or Merry Christmas anymore and like that. He's just, unless I ring him to reach out to him, I don't hear from him. Yeah, right. That must be hard. Yeah. But, you know, it did have an emotional impact. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jeff, we've, we've kind of digressed a long way from the, the physical injury, but how, how are you physically now? Like, how is do you have any problems with your neck? Has it had any like sort of um, challenges that have come as a result of that that um, that change in how your body is? Yeah, well, um, I'm 50 kilos overweight because <laughs> every time I go to go exercise, I ended up aggravating the injury, and uh, I've tried probably about eight times over the last 10 years to, to go and get fit. And uh, I don't know if it's my own stories that I'm telling my own head, and you know, more of attraction a bit and bringing on myself, but. Almost uh, every time I go to go do something, another thing happens. So there's probably some lessons that I need to learn around that one. Um, but I had got myself to a stage. My wife is a massage therapist, so massage was helping with the managing the pain and mm-hmm. and uh, you know drinking lots of water and, and eating right and all of that sort of thing to not feed the inflammation. Oh, yeah, sugar feeds the inflammation. I understand that now. Um, but yeah, because I I, don't know, I went through my own depressed journey and around depression and. Uh, ate very unhealthily and, and drunk a lot of coke and, and all those sort of things. So I probably fed the inflammation for a while and hmm. and heightened the pain. But um, I've now come out of that. Up until this Easter, I was off the pain meds altogether for about two years. It took me hmm. a two-year journey to wean off them. Hmm. I tried to go cold turkey and uh, it just ended up in hospital because all my organs started shutting down because I was too reliant on them. Like, Oh, really? Yeah, like this stuff, the, 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 like Lyrica is on. It's just like um, it, it's almost worse than heroin, I reckon, the <laughs> addiction. And so so you, your body reacted that significantly that like they just like, well, yeah. sorry, you've taken something that we've got used to, we're just going to shut down. Yeah, so yes, yeah, fuel me. Um, 
organs shutting down and whatnot. So I ended up very sick there for a while. Yeah, wow. So, and then when I found, doctors told me I went cold turkey, they got pretty angry at me because <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Well, you don't and, know what you don't know, right? That's right, yeah. So I ended up uh, saying, look, I want off them anyway. So that we put a plan in place and it took me two years to get off them. But uh, just prior to Easter, this Easter, I ended up falling down the stairs. And uh, so I ended up almost breaking my hip and um, ended up in hospital for six days over Easter. I, and what I ended up doing was I ended up badly bruising my my, uh, my buttock and my hip area and whatnot, end up uh, pinching the sciatica nerve, not at the root, but sort of along the track there. And, and um, yeah, couldn't walk on that left leg for a few days because of that. So they they put me back on all the bloody pain meds and I, I sort of broke, you know, when they said I've got to go back on the pain meds, I broke down in tears. So I got just, you know, fought so hard to get off from all that and now I'm back on them. <laughs> so, well, you know how to get off again, right? Yeah, been through that radio. That's what, that's, what, you know, that's what I told myself now. I've done that radio once. I can do it again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the more we go through things, the, the, the quicker we get at it. And um, yeah. and ultimately something we've talked a bit a, bit, a, a fair bit in this conversation is you, uh, I imagine at some point you'll be helping other people with the same thing. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> yeah. Now, now you've you've done a lot of sales and, and – um, and uh, I don't know if you call it network marketing, but it's definitely community marketing, right? Um, relationship, you, yeah, relationship, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, do you find that you're attracting similar sort of people in and you're able to help them on their journey because you've got experience in, in um, different parts of your life? Uh, yeah, it's funny you say that. Yeah, you do attract like-minded people. And uh, it seems to be a wide mix of uh, I'm attracting a lot of, you know, workaholic dads who, who want to transition out of their life. I suppose a lot of my marketing is, is, is designed to attract those type of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I you know, one of my um, team players at the moment that's on our team is uh, Trish. And uh, Trish is, uh, has, has cerebral palsy. She's in a wheelchair. And uh, she's wanting to provide an extra income for her family so her husband doesn't have to work so hard. So, yeah, I'm, I'm finding I am uh, attracting, you know, people with, uh, with health challenges that are looking for, for other ways to make money on, you know, make money and provide for their families. So good, and and I'm sure you can attest to this. How much job satisfaction comes when you're helping people through things that you've already been through before, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I like to call um, one of my philosophies is to be the the hero maker, not the hero. So I, I, I get more satisfaction when I see other people succeed than my own success. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that when we were talking about the um, the. Uh, the hero's journey, not from people trying to like force their own story down their throat, but actually helping people to see that they're the hero. Um, mm. And I love that. That's that's uh, very much how you're doing business. Another so, is is uh, like we're, you know, we're the shirt. We're not, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary. He's the one who got noticed for for climbing up Mount Everest. But it was always the person that up there before him was the Sherpa. The Sherpa doesn't get any recognition. So. Yeah, and, so. and the Sherpa had probably been up there a few times too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, tell me, Jeff, what message, if you if you could uh, have a soapbox to sort of share a message with the world, what what would you share? Yeah, great question. Um, never give up. You know, fail forward is, is one of the things that I like to say. Like we actually don't fail unless you actually do give up. Uh, we learn more from our our mistakes and our failures than we do from our victories. You know, our victories only happen in life because of all the lessons that we learn along the way. 
So, yeah, there is no such thing as an overnight success, but, you know, if you keep at it, it feels like an overnight success sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well said. Now, where can people find out more about what you do now and, and if they're looking and if they're workaholics and they want to find some freedom, where can they find out more about you, Jeff? Yeah, great question. Uh, Facebook or LinkedIn would probably be the best places. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty active on Facebook most days. Uh, that's where I, I like to reach out to people and communicate and lots of things. So, yeah, um, my, my Facebook username is uh, jeffrey.ross12, 2012 or 12. We'll make sure we get your link there in the show notes so that people can yeah. find it as well and, uh, and yeah. come check you out. And um, there, are, there are other Jeffrey Rosses out there. The most famous one is a, a Canadian comedian. That's not me. <laughs> yeah a little bit different uh, you like um, magic, but yeah I'm, I'm not a stand-up comedian <laughs> um i love that you've integrated all of these elements through your life and including travel which has you know been present it was the thing that sort of got you into sales that's the thing that you'd kind of thought you were going to do from a young age uh yeah. again those, those childhood memories that it taking other people back to that's magic. Mm, yeah. I, and I, I've been involved in a few other different companies with network marketing industry in the past, but never really had the success that I'm having now. And, and I feel that that's because I, I truly believe in our, in our myself and I believe in our product. You know, you've got to have those two key beliefs to be able to sell anything, right? <laughs> 100%. And um, anyone who's in sales listening to that is like, I, I, I look back when early stages of business when, I was always like, oh, I reckon I'd be so much better at selling other people's stuff, and yeah. that was just that because ultimately, because of my lack of belief in my own stuff. But yeah. but when you when you like you said, when you've got the belief, and then you realise no matter what you're selling, that you you're the person you're selling, right? Then uh, yeah. you, you can sell anything. People buy you first before they listen to you and have whatever solution you have. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, great chat. Thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, the inspiring moments of overcoming setbacks again and again. I appreciate it, mate. My absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.